Welcome. You're listening to the Equine Photographers Podcast, the place to learn from top equine professionals around the world as they share their experience and knowledge on what it takes to be an accomplished equine photographer. Now your hosts, Peter DeMott and Gigi Embricks. So uh, Carol specializes in art and wild horse photography. She has a passion for the wild horse, and she does a lot of at liberty uh, shooting, as well as out in nature shooting. And we need to find out uh, how she got there and where it's taking her. Carol, welcome to the podcast. Gigi, say hi. Hi, Carol. Hi. It's nice to talk to you. I can't wait to hear all about your business. And mm-hmm. Well, thank you the- both for having me on here. No problem. You're pretty influential in the wild horse sector of our business. <laughs> and uh, I know a lot of people have want, wanted, to, wanted us to interview you about this. So uh, we're excited to do that. Great. So, Carol, we usually start this out by asking people how they got where they are today. And, you know, sometimes they came to the horse first or the photography first, or they've been doing it since they were a kid, or they've been just doing it recently. So tell us uh, how you got where you are today. Great. Well, I've always loved horses since I was a tiny, tiny little girl. And uh, so I've always loved them. And I started taking photographs when I was four, and I could barely hold a camera. Wow. And so you so, started both when you were very young. Very young. And, uh, and my, my very favorite subjects when I was young and, and today were animals. Um, I took millions of pictures of our family dog and uh, started there. And then I, I photographed wildlife all over the world as an amateur photographer. It was something I did as a hobby. And uh, I was what, working. What did you, yeah, I was going to say, how did you fund this tra- world travels? Well, I was working as a psychologist uh, and when I was living in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and uh, I had decided to move to Colorado and kind of change my life. When I started to look for work as a psychologist, I realized I didn't want to go back to it. And so I started a photography business and uh, specializing in horses, uh, since that was what I knew. I had a lot of contacts in the horse community in Colorado, uh, so that was sort of a natural sort of thing to do. So um, that wasn't the wild horse thing, though. So what kind of no. photography was that? So when I first started uh, my business, Living Images, I started doing mainly portraits of people and their horses. And I found out about Equine Photographers Network and joined and that was pretty early on for them too and started getting involved there and I uh, started doing some farm calls as well and that was really how I started getting going with my business and that's what I was focused on at first and then I started branching out into stock photography and went from there so the wild horses came in about four years later I was at a Nature Photographers Conference, uh, NAMPA, their summit. And a friend of mine said, so horses, why aren't you photographing wild horses? And I said, wild horses? I don't know anything about wild horses. So uh, about two weeks later, I got an email from a gentleman who uh, takes 
um, groups out to photograph wild horses in the red desert of Wyoming. And he said, do you want to come? And I said, of course. So I went with him and I was absolutely enchanted by the horses. We went out and we probably saw 150 horses that first day in this very wild and dry and seemingly inhospitable country. And they were thriving and they were really beautifully adapted to their environment. And I was hooked. So I started going out there about once a month um, and the horses got to know me after a while. Initially they were scared and would run away, but then they realized I was not going to um, run after them or chase them or anything. And I got to know them pretty well. And, uh, and then about a year and a half later, I found out they were going to round up and remove almost all of the horses there. Wow. And Ooh. yeah. And I was just shocked and I thought, Oh my gosh, I have to go and watch this. So I did. And, uh, and when I saw these old horses getting shipped off to holding facilities and the young horses getting taken away from their mothers and, the families being split apart, I was just heartbroken. And I said, I got to do something about this. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got involved. And that's how I wrote my first book, Wild Hoofbeats. So it was following these horses and what happened to them and also kind of letting people know what's going on with wild horses. So that's how I got involved. It wasn't, wasn't like I said, okay, one day I'm going to, I'm going to be a wild horse advocate. It was, it was more like yeah. I got to know and love these horses. And then I had to do something. Sure. Yeah. So now uh, that's kind of where you are today and you've written a couple of books. Yes. But, uh, you know, this podcast is about the business of equine photography. So tell us a little bit about the areas of income that you your income streams. You don't have to get into the specifics, but just, you know, what percentage comes from your art shows and what from your books and, you know, all the different things you do. Well, and, you know, it's, it's, it's shifted over the years, of, of course, and I'm sure as you know, as you, as you get into an area, um, it shifts. And, of course, in equine photography, it's hard to just do one thing and be able to make any sort of decent money. So, as I said, I started with the portrait packages and the, and the farm calls. And so that was what I started with. And then I started branching into stock photography and then began uh, selling. I started doing a calendar for the Cloud Foundation, 50% to them. I would take 50% because I had to print 2,000 and I knew I couldn't sell 2,000. So it was a good thing for them and it was a good thing for me. And so that's how I got into the calendar business. And now I've done, uh, I did six calendars for them, um, working on the seventh this year for Wild Horse Freedom Federation. So that I started with the cat, I started doing the calendars and then the stock photography started growing and I started taking more and more photographs in different parts of the world and started getting approached by magazines and also uh, an art consultant I have in New Jersey who sells my work for different licensing projects. And so I have a lot of different things. And then I started doing trade shows like Equine Affair. Right. Um, I saw you at one recently. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, I did those for a while and that was, you know, it was good. I think the best part about having your work out in front of the public is you get to see what people like. And, yeah. and I find that very valuable because what I like isn't necessarily what might be popular or what might sell well. 
Um, so I, uh, although I'm, I'm an introvert, really, I, I see more people at a trade show than I usually see in a year. So, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a very, it was a very helpful thing to do that. So, but it's, it's a lot of work and especially, you know, if you, if you just, I, I just worked for myself. Uh, I only started having an assistant part-time four years ago. So I had done everything by myself. So it's a lot of work. So, okay, let's let's talk about, say, the Equine Affair. Uh, I know that you had to print up probably hundreds of images and have, yes. a, have create a display and all that. So they're quite an investment. Yes, it's an investment having stuff um, printed. And also, um, I like canvases. That's what I have. It's an investment having, having that stuff there. And, of course, all of it's not going to sell. And, um, but what works well is if you have places where, so I have, I'm actually in six different gallery, seven different galleries right now. So if I don't sell stuff at a trade show, hopefully I'll sell it at a gallery or, and now I do art shows. Um, so I, I do a lot of local art shows, um, not where I have a booth, but where I submit the images and then I have maybe three things at the show. over a period of time. And so um, I have moved away from the trade shows. I'm just doing Rocky Mountain Horse Expo because that's here in Denver and it's local and they let me speak. So that's always a good one for me. And then there's another one I just started doing last year, which is the Indian market. And that's uh, Indian art and wildlife. Do you set up a booth at that one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I went there, not this year, last year. And that's, that's very well attended. I went there. I was surprised. Yes. It was. It's a really nice. Um, yes, they they have some of the best promotion of any of the shows. They have a really good plan for how they promote the show. Oh yeah. So I mean, I think that's one thing that you have to be really careful about when you're considering doing if you know if you want to do a show is is there enough attendance to justify my going because it's a lot of work you know yeah. And a lot of money in inventory, of course. And uh, so if, if, if they don't really have people, enough people coming by and enough people who want to buy coming by, it's not worth it. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, just to, you know, in round numbers, I guess, it, you know, I'm sure you had some small prints for small dollars, but you also have the canvases and and I don't know what else you had there at the booth, but... Was there an average purchase or did you sell a lot of canvases or was it very few or, I mean. It completely varied from year to year. So it was very hard to predict. Okay. Um, One year I sold maybe eight canvases. Another year I sold two and a ton of matted prints. And so it was very hard to predict. Um, One thing that I always sold was greeting cards. And although. Although the margin wasn't great, you know, if you sell if you sell four hundred greeting cards, at least it's going to help pay for your booth. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, yeah. so that's a good thing, you know. Yeah. And having the lower end things to sell definitely helps. Now, were those individual greeting cards or packets mm-hmm. or what? Yeah, I was doing mainly photographers' edge stuff, um, but now I'm uh, I'm working through Zazzle because I can get those printed, and if I buy them on a sale, I can get them like a dollar forty each and that's cheaper than I can produce them myself. So, you know, you kind of have to look at what, what works with that stuff. But again, again, since you're sort of a retail outlet, (laughs) you you have to 
produce all this stuff before people will buy it. Exactly. 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 And, you know, I mean, I guess, you you know, I, I do often I'll have my iPad and I can show people other work that I don't have there. But usually it's the things they want to take that thing with them. Right. Yeah, they see it. They're mostly attached to it right then, and then they're they're going to take it with them. Otherwise, people don't want to wait today for anything, I don't think. Plus, they can well, touch it and feel it and see it. Right, yeah. right. Now, the downside with an equine trade show is that you have a lot of people who are there who have horses, and they don't want pictures of somebody else's horse. Yeah, they don't even want a true. wild horse. So um, I sometimes have better luck selling in Colorado at a local art show that is not a horse show because people love horses, you know, so yeah. they're they're more apt to buy horse artwork. Right. So for decor or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's all trial and error, you know, and right. I actually went to a few wholesale shows for a while and then I realized I just wasn't cut out for the whole wholesale market. And that's not something I'm pursuing um, anymore. So like hotel chains or something like that, you ha- you don't go after them? Oh, no, I would go after hotel chains. But but like going after um, the wholesale market, uh, WISA, the Western English um, Sales Association, their, their big show, I didn't have I didn't have enough of a margin on things to make it profitable, really. To right. Sell. Because they, they wanted to buy it cheap and resell it, yeah. Yeah, like at a, at, you know, at a, at, a, at a tax store or wherever, and it just, it, it's tough to do. With right, our right. You know, it's kind of funny, when people come into this business, they want to sell things for a low price, but for art, if it doesn't have the right price tag, people aren't going to buy it, you know? Yeah, and I think, I think it's, I think it's very, you have to, you have to try it out. You have to see see what it'll go for. Because I live in Colorado, so you're in Ohio, Peter. And, you know, in the middle of the country, I don't think that we can charge what people charge in L.A. or New York. It's just not going to happen. Um, so my prices are lower than you would get on the coast. I think I could, if I lived in L.A. or New York, I could charge more for my work. But I have to kind of see what people in Colorado are going to spend. It's a very tricky thing, pricing. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now you are you have your online presence though too, so that that is East and West Coast. Um, yes, it is. But apparently, you don't get a lot of purchases through online. Is that what you're telling us? No, I do. I actually oh. um, I get direct sales through my website, um, and I have been working very hard to promote my Etsy store over the last um, three years, and it has been going gangbusters. I do a tremendous amount of sales through online and I actually am looking to gear up my online presence more because I think that's the way to go. You don't have to have stuff on hand. You know, you, you print it for them at the time and, and drop ship it, you know, or whatever you want to do. And it's so much, so much more reasonable. Yeah. I just put up a store on my website. Well, for me, because I'm not local, local, it's a lot easier just when they order it, then I can get it printed and have it sent right to them. It's hard if there's problems, but if it, everything goes good, it it's, works out great. Right. And I, I have a lab, a wonderful lab, which is in Ohio, um, who is terrific. And if there is problems, they fix it. So I think it's really important to have a good relationship with your lab 
and have them be trustworthy so that you know if you drop ship a piece, there's not going to be a problem with it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah, I have a good relationship. And my lab's in Colorado, so I was, <laughs> yeah. yeah funny. So uh, how about the book sales? How, how, what percentage of the business is book sales? Well, it's growing. So the first book, have I've actually sold about 8,000 copies, which is pretty good for a self-published uh, book. Yeah, that's very I've, good. I've had three printings now. And um, and then the horse photography book, I've sold about 7,000 copies. It's in its second printing. And um, so the, the amount of income coming in from the books and the calendars is growing and growing. And I'm actually working on my fourth book right now, which is going to be out in September. It's called uh, Galloping to Freedom, Saving the Adobe Town Appaloosas. And it's about 10 wild horses that were rounded up this last fall um, that uh, a woman in New York, Amanda Kalimian, uh, helped me save. And they're now at the Black Hills Wild Horse Sanctuary. So the book tells the story of their journey from being wild to being in the holding facilities and then to being released into the sanctuary. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited about this book. And uh, it's nice having a sponsor. So Manda's foundation is sponsoring the book, um, the Canna Projects. What does and that mean, sponsoring the book? She is paying for uh, the book to be oh. published, oh. which and is terrific. Does that and affect your royalties or how does yeah. that work? Yeah. So we set up, um, so we're going to pay her back first and then we're splitting the proceeds after that. So um, that is so much easier because, you know, with printing a book um, with a, with a photography book, you have to print the, you have to print, you have to print in quantity and you don't start making your money for maybe 12 months. You don't start, you know, making any money off the book because you have all this inventory and it's very expensive inventory. And once you start selling it, it's fine. But, you know, the initial upfront cost is really high. So are, are people buying them in bookstores or are they buying them online on your website? So the, they don't sell as well in bookstores. And um, I sell much better either through online directly or through um, galleries and um, stores and things like that, where like a tax store or an art show, um, that's really where I do most of my sales. So you handle most of the sales yourself, then it's not a yes. distributor situation. Well, no, I do have some distributors. I have um, I have several distributors that also sell the books for me, but um, I'm selling them more myself. Um, and then uh, horse books, etc., which of course is Prime Media. Um, they sell my calendars and my books, which is nice. Um, and I've had, you know, I've had some things I've sell, sold through um, other places like that. So it, it's just a matter of um, trying different things and seeing what works. Mm -hmm. Making the connections and developing yes. them. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, I Googled you and clicked on Carol's photos yeah. Uh, and there's like five pages of these beautiful wild horses. Some of them look like they're possibly not wild horses. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some beach photography. Um, and there's some snowy photography running through snow, two or three horses. So I'm guessing that you set some of those up at some local farms. Yes. Uh, and then you don't necessarily sell those as wild horse, but more just as decor. 
Yes. Uh, so, so yeah, if you go onto my website, there's a portfolio and then I have domestic horses and I have wild horses. So, um, and I find that <laughs> I find that right now, uh, people buy more pretty horse pictures than they do wild horse pictures, pretty oh, horses, huh. meaning Andalusians, Lusitanos, Frisians, people tend the bigger prints i i've been selling quite a few to new york city um they're usually the pretty horses and is um, that for companies or for people's home no, decor individuals, individuals. Yeah. so um and uh but people do buy the wild horse images but i sell more of the uh, the domestic horse images so uh and i think you know so it's, it's how taste. often do you set those up then i mean i it, i guess you know from the business perspective it's like okay i'm gonna do five farm shoots a year or is it once a month or you know that you're going out to gather these images and how do you set those up well one way to do it is to do a workshop so um i have a lot of camarg uh in france images and i've done th i'm going to be doing my third workshop next may so um and last year i did a workshop there so i got a lot of um you know the beautiful white horses of the camarg images at that workshop. So that works. Or I'll go on another photographer's workshop. I've gone with Tony Stromberg a few times and gotten some images then. Um, and then the winter shots I set up um, at farms with uh, people that I know here in Colorado. And um, that works really well. Or I, um, and then I've done, I've done some other workshops in Montana and, and uh, Wyoming and gotten images there too. Mm -hmm. So um, it just depends. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, oh, and then of course I did the workshop in Dubai in March and got some wonderful Arabians running in the desert. So that was, that was a very useful way <laughs> to get some images too. So, so yeah. you, you went there to, as a participant or that's something no. you created? No, no they, um, they contacted me through my website and asked if I would, um, uh, teach a horse photography workshop for them. Um, and it was in conjunction with their big awards ceremony. Um, the crown prince is a big patron of photography. And so, uh, they set it up at this Arabian farm and I had 25 students and, uh, I did it this year and last year and it was great. We, we were out, we were out and got to photograph uh, a variety of horses. And at the end we got to photograph the stallions running in the desert so it, it was wonderful, and uh, it's a real melting pot, Dubai. And so I got to meet all sorts of people there. It was it's really amazing. So that was that was a fantastic opportunity. Was the uh, were the participants mostly uh, people from Dubai, or were they from all over the world? No, they were from Dubai, and the royal family in Dubai really wants to make opportunities available to the pe their people there, and oh. so this educational opportunity. So that was what this was part of, which is neat. I think it's a fantastic thing. Okay, so Carol, you've got books, you've got workshops, you've got canvas prints online. Um, art shows. Art shows. Can you sort of break out the percentages of where you get your income and which is the most important parts for you? Like, is it, is it 50% workshops or is it 10%? Is it 50% canvas prints online or is it 10%? You know, that kind of thing. Just okay, so, well, kind of an overall picture. 
Well, I would say the fine art now is probably about 70% of my, my income. So, and spread out over the art shows, the galleries and the online, all that, and whatever else I do selling fine art. And that's the direction I'm going. That's where I want to go. And then, uh, and then the licensing and the stock um, is probably a large percentage. The workshops, not so much because I'm only doing two or three a year and that's by choice. I don't want to spend all of my time doing workshops. So, um, uh, but the licensing also, um, I recently got in with a, uh, with an art consultant in, here in Denver that I'm hoping to get more business from. So I'd like to do more of that because, you know, you put in 10 pieces at a hospital, that's a lot of money, you know? So, yeah. so going that direction, I think is, is a good, is a good way to go too. Um, uh, the problem though, is a lot of times the art consultants, they want pictures of nature that are like rocks and landscapes and things like that. Not, not necessarily animals. So you have to find somebody who actually, you know, uses, uses, uh, animals. animals. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I hear this a lot on, you know, podcasts and stuff, but that stock photography has changed a lot over the years, you know, yes, uh, yes. it's gone, you know, it's quite Damn. reasonable <laughs> for people to yeah. buy stock photography. Yeah, it's definitely gone down. You know, I, I remember when I first, when I was just before I started my business and I had gone on a couple of trips with Dan Cox, who's a wonderful wildlife photographer. Um, and he is one of, one of the top wildlife photographers at Getty. Um, and he was, you know, making most of his living from that. And then it just started going down, 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 down. And then, um, so, so you he, know, I was, he had to regroup, huh? He had to regroup. And so he started doing a lot of workshops. Um, and a lot of photographers I know are doing that. It looks like to me that everybody's moving there and then the same thing happens. It's, I guess it's because photography has gotten to be like such a big field now that, you know, well, and you, it, and you have so many people who think that anybody can take a picture. Well, of course anybody can take a picture, but not anybody can take a good enough picture for a commercial ad. Yeah. So that's, that's an issue, but you know, I, I, am still selling, you know, stock photography and I do a lot of, I, a lot of people approach me directly to buy directly from me. So that's always a, a good way to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your wild horses, they, they know you. Is that what you told us? earlier? <laughs> well, the, in, in Adobe town. Yes. When I started going out there, I was the only, I mean, there were virtually, I would see maybe one oil truck a day go by out there. So there really weren't people going out to that area. That's changed. There's a lot of oil development now. And the horses, they really would get more accustomed to me being there. Now, in different areas, like the Prior Mountains of Montana, which is one of the most popular places to go see wild horses, there's a ton of people through there all the time. And I, I would never say those horses know me. Um, because there's so many other people, but you know, in that one area, yes, yes, I do think those horses know me. And um, so, yeah. when you when you write your books, uh, you have names for the horses and all that sort of thing. Well, you know, I am I'm I'm kind of weird. Um, a lot of the wild horse advocates really think we should name all the horses, and it makes it more personal. And I understand that, but I think wild horses shouldn't have names out in the yeah. They're, they're, they're wild. The name doesn't mean anything to the horse. Yes, exactly. So, and I, as far as I'm concerned, they should only be named when they're brought in um, and rounded up. But um, a lot of times the local people in the area have named the horses or the Bureau of Land Management has named the horses. So they already have names. So I, I use those if, if they're already named. 
but I don't go around naming anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. But I find that my advocacy has helped my business and my business helps my advocacy. So it's a really beautiful marriage for me. You know, here I, I can give back to the horses and I can also sell my work. Right, and, right. and recently I've joined the board of Wild Horse Freedom Federation and the president, um, R.T. Fitch, said to me, Carol, I want your business to thrive. I want you to do well in your business. I want to support that. And so I really appreciate that. Um, and so um, I can show people the beauty of the wild horse. I can educate them about what's going on and I can sell my work. So it, it kind of works together. I donate a lot of artwork to um, various causes, um, especially the wild horse causes. I donate books. I donate calendars. Um, I donate percentages of things that I, that I do. So um, I think it works really well to have a cause. Right. And yeah. the, the people that are supporting that cause yes. support you to support yes. the cause. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. people feel like, and I tell people that, you know, if you buy artwork from me, it's supporting my work with wild horses, which it is. Um, yeah. so, so they feel good about that. And, and I think that, that advocacy and art is a beautiful marriage. And it's a good thing from a business perspective as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good idea. I never really looked at it that way, but I bet, you know, it is. It's, and there are a lot of, you know, horse organizations that aren't about wild horses that are about helping horses in other ways. And I know a lot of people who do horse photography do, do, you know, um, help those organizations. They donate or they, they take photos for the organizations or whatever. And I always think that's a great way to meet people in the community and make connections as well. Yeah, right. it is. Yeah. So uh, what would you tell Gigi as far as her Belgium horses, um, how she can market those more? Just, to, you know, brainstorming a little bit. Yeah, I've, I've thought about doing the art shows, but mm-hmm. like you, it's a, you know, the inventory plus with me moving back and forth, mm-hmm. you know, storage. My problem is coming up with a business model that works with my lifestyle. I'm still working on that, you know. <laughs> well, I think the online is definitely a good idea. And then you might look at local art shows. I was talking about this type of shows where you submit a couple of images and then you're your, your work's displayed with the other people in the show and you don't have to work a booth. That right. sort of show might, might work better for you also. That's kind of, sort of like a juried show. Juried right? show, exactly. Yeah, exactly. right, right, yeah. I saw a few of those and I thought, yeah, that would be a good idea too. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, th- I find those great. It's much less of a commitment than having the booth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw you at the, the, I didn't go this year, last year, I think I was already headed to Belgium but the uh, at the Rocky or the Rocky, Rocky Mountain, Mountain Horse Expo, yeah, that you know that is a tremendous amount of work setting it all up and staying there yes. for all those days, and you know, yes. yeah, that that's that's a big commitment. Yes. So, well, I'd I'd like to ask Carol. I know in online, there's a lot of people that you know newer photographers kind of go in the wild horse way. Do you have any advice for them as far as? Should they make a business out of it? How would they make a business out of it? Or um, do you have any suggestions or ideas for new photographers that might want to follow in your step foot a little bit? Well, uh, one thing is, I mean, I've been learning by trial and error as I go. So it's not something you just quit your day job and suddenly you're making um, 
you're making a lot of money as a horse photographer. I mean, you have to kind of go into it and take and say, okay, I'm going to try this. Um, when I set up my Etsy store, there weren't a whole lot of horse. There wasn't a whole lot of horse photography on Etsy. Um, mm-hmm. Now there is. There's there's more and more. So if you can kind of specialize, I mean, I would think that being able to specialize in in your work is is a great idea um, because if you get known for for you, Belgian horses, you know, people will come to you for Belgian horses, horse work. Or if someone is specializing in wild horses in Nevada, I have a friend who um, lives in Nevada and he, he is very well known as a photographer of Nevada wild horses. And so getting known for something particular that you do is a really good thing to do. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's, you're you're diverse, but you're also niching it down to a very specific category. Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. I mean, I would hope that people would think of would think of me when they think of wild horse photography. So that's I'm hoping that that you know that that Brand, happens. That's your branding. Yeah. 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 You know, and I think uh, any way you can get your name out is 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 a is a good thing. Yeah. Wh- which, yeah. by the way, you have I think three websites, or is there more? Three websites, Horse Photography, Living Images, and Wild Hoofbeats. Wild Hoofbeats started out about the book, and now it's an advocacy website. Okay. Oh. Yeah. And, so the ho- I, and the Horse Photography is about the workshops? Workshops and the book, Horse Photography. Okay. Oh. And then what, Living, Living Images is your original website, and it's about what? It's uh, selling artwork. Artwork. Okay. Yeah. So even with the websites, you, you're putting yourself out there in a lot of different ways. Yes, and Facebook pages. And I remember I, we had a conversation, Peter, years ago, and you were like, you're going you're gonna to run out of people to friend on your page. You need to set up pages. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Facebook is becoming quite the uh, yes. you know, place well, now. How many, how many followers do you have, just out of curiosity? Eight hundred and fifty thousand on my horse. Oh my goodness! Yes. Wow, that's fantastic. And uh, about uh, two hundred twenty thousand on wild hoofbeats, and about fifty five thousand on living images. And so, yeah, it's it's. And then I just started a galloping to freedom page for the new book. So, so do, you, do you have a blog on each of the websites, and and how often do you have to feed it to make it feel like it's you know? good for people uh yes i have a blog on each and i have been terrible on the horse photography uh blog i haven't been really doing much with it but the wild hook beats i try to get out um something on there at least every couple weeks and i do like a news which is a short piece and then i do a bigger piece for the blog um and then the living images I'll post like if I have an art show or something like that. And I know the more content you put out, the better. On Facebook, I try to put something every day on the living images and the horse photography pages. So um, I think that makes a difference with bumping up the followers. Yeah, it does. You have to it, you have to keep keep them all supplied in images all the time. Um, right. The interviews that we have done. So far, it's just like Facebook has been a big part of their business. And uh, yes, it's starting to be like that now, you know, 
Well, I think what's what's lagging for me, unfortunately, and I need to work on it, is Instagram. When I was in Dubai, yeah. everybody's like, why aren't you using your Instagram page? <laughs> because it really is the future. I mean, people are love Instagram, and um, I think it would be really helpful. It, and people like to see pictures of your process. You know, if you have pictures of yourself working or or where you're going to do whatever you're doing, they love that stuff. And yeah. um and that really, and it, but it's hard. I, I'm like, well, I'm an old, I'm older. I don't, I'm not into the Instagram thing and I need to push myself. So <laughs> yeah, I just started using it myself and, and it like, just like all these social medias, you got to kind of know how it works and you yes. have to, um, you know, research the, the, uh, hashtags and all that. But they say for photography, for photographers, I mean, there it is. It's the it's the images. We've got an yes. advantage over a lot of people because we can yes. put up nice images. Yes. Um, but it is another thing that we yes. have to do. But let me yeah. let me ask one last question. Then we're going to probably close it off here shortly. But uh, I'm looking at your images and comparing them to some uh, other fine art photographers that do horses and. Yours don't have a lot of photoshopping done to them. Uh, I've seen others that are, you know, more concept photography. Uh, tell us about your philosophy in that area. I like to have the images look more natural. I, um, of course, I use Photoshop. Everybody does um, to enhance the images, but I like to do it minimally, and I like the image to look as though it. it that's the way I shot it Um, because I I think that's, that's more engaging for me. I find, I think it's more engaging to have the image be like that. And I, I like black and white, um, especially when there's an image where there's um, where there's, it's more graphic. Um, So I'll do black and white, but I hate sepia. I absolutely loathe it. And a lot of photographers are just sepia everything. And that, that I don't like either. Uh, I don't like the over photoshopped and I don't like the sepia. So, but that's just a preference. And um, that's, that's kind of my approach. I noticed today the big trend because that's sort of a trend, you know, trends come and they go, but basic quality photography, I think is it's timeless. But a, a lot are using a lot of textures right now. And I've, I've played with them and they're fun and they can really, you know, make a, an image look a little more artsy. But I'm wondering, just like HDR, this is a trend. I feel like it's a trend. And, and it'll fade and then people yeah, will put, put actually, things in their closets then. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, I remember when we did that or I remember when HDR was popular. Right. And I think if you stay with Good, good uh, photography with good lighting. I think you can't go wrong. Well, and, and the other thing um, that I would say to people is it's good if you have a look to your work that people can identify. So they yeah. say that looks like something that Carol Walker did or that looks like something that Tony Stromberg did or that looks like something that so-and-so did. It's good if you have sort of a consistent look to your work. So um, I think that's, you know, and you have to find your own thing. You can't just copy somebody else. you got to find what, uh, what, what, what you like and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Usually Peter starts off with how you got there, and I end with, for a new photographer, 
starting in who want to make any kind of business out of taking equine photography, where do they start? And what, what do you think is important for them in the beginning to learn or to do? Or what would you advise to a, a new photographer? Well, one thing I would advise is come up with a business plan with mm-hmm. what, how you want to develop your, your business, even if it's just something really simple. Um, I think that's important. And then if you're going to have, if you're going to set some money aside to develop the business, the first thing you pay for is your website. That's where you put your money. That's where you start. And if you, because that's where people go, people go immediately to your website. When they, when they find you, you can hand them a card. They look you up. They look at your website that needs to reflect your work. So I would say that's like the most important thing to develop first and, um, and then go from there and, um, and work locally. Um, everybody will tell you who sells fine art or sells images, start locally in your local town, go to a store, go to wherever you can to, to display your work, start locally, and then you can spread out and branch out nationally. Right, as you make connections. Now, what about in terms of the quality of the images? I know that you were a part of EPNet. Are, are yes. you still with EPNet? I am, and yeah. I definitely, I always tell new photographers to go to EPN and to sign up and become a member because there's a lot of educational opportunities, a lot of resources there, a lot of good knowledge there. So yeah. I, um, I always tell new photographers who come and talk to me uh, about EPNet. So um, I find that very valuable, too. I think it's important to have support from other photographers. Yeah, and that's why we started this. So we can all learn from each other. And, you know, because there's such a diverse field in equine photography, you know, from doing portraits to fine art to eventing. I mean, there's, you know, so we're trying to cover it all for for everyone, give them some options. Yes, absolutely. So last of all, before I have some closing words, do you want to invite people to your next workshop? Sure. I, um, I actually have two spots left in my workshop at the Black Hills in uh, South Dakota at the Wild Horse Sanctuary, which is uh, the first week in September. Okay. And uh, people can just go to my website, horsephotographyworkshops.com to find out about that. Now, is that something annual? Because we're probably going to launch in September. So oh, we're going to miss I'm that. I'm hoping it will be because, uh, uh, so this is the first one that I've done there. And if it goes well, we'll do it next year for sure. Um, the sanctuary is a site of the book. So, but we can invite uh, people to look for my new book. That would work. Galloping oh, yeah, which is yeah. Galloping, Galloping to Freedom. Freedom okay. And it will be out in uh, September. Great. Oh, well, that's perfect. perfect. Well, and I'll put links and everything to uh, everything that you have on our blog post about this particular podcast. And uh, Carol, thank you so much for being with us. Um, thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you're a big influence in the in the equine world. So that's what we're trying to expose to upcoming people. So now for, for our listeners, um, please make comments on our website equinephotographerspodcast.com also uh, subscribe on iTunes to the podcast for each episode we would also like to get your feedback on what's your takeaway from this particular podcast in other words what 
if you're interested in this particular area, what was the one thing that you feel you can implement and uh, make it work for your business? So again, thank you, Carol and Gigi, and we're all going to just hang up here shortly. And uh, we had a great time talking to you. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Equine Photographers Podcast. We hope that you were inspired to grow and improve as an equine photographer by listening today. Join us for the next episode to learn, grow, and be inspired as we interview some of today's outstanding equine image makers. 